joining us on our new venture podcast article website called our baseball ground i'm alex and i'm alex as well yeah that makes it it makes it easier for people to remember our names which is good and essentially we have decided because we are going to be going into some sort of partial lockdown for the next few weeks that we needed a new project and whilst we were thinking about the things that we could we could kill some some good time with um essentially we realized that there's only one thing that we know And that is the period between 2004 and 2020 in the history of Derby County. It's a it's very it's a very long period, but it's also very short in the in the grand scheme of things. In our memory. In it, yeah, and and for a club that's 136 years old, but um, it's a it's still a worth a time worth talking about. Yeah, and I guess. The current state of play with, with Derby County is that recently, actually just today, it was announced that the club may be taken over by um, an individual from, from the UAE. To, to us, essentially, that potentially means the end of, of an era for, for Derby County and, and the current era for Derby County. And against this backdrop, we wanted to, to start a discussion and also document for, for ourselves um, the recent history around what we what we do know about Derby County. Um, we wanted to talk about different elements of this period, so things like individual matches, individual moments, goals, managers we've had, objects associated with the club, and yeah, I guess we wanted to to speak about mainly our experiences of these of these things in a way that I guess means that we can share them with others too. Yeah, so I'm going to be writing hopefully an article every two weeks and each article will come with a podcast. I'd write this article which will be undoubtedly wrong and also influenced <laughs> heavily by my own experience but then we discuss it as a pair because I think I think the crucial thing is while we while we may have watched a lot of football together over these years and, and also separately but we've been watching the same football but we've taken a lot of different um, experiences from, from that period and I think even if it's just for ourselves um, documenting those experiences and how we'd like contextualize the current period mm. of Derby's history against that period of time is something that might be quite interesting and and I, yeah I, I mean we don't know what's going to come out of it but right. ho- hopefully hopefully some interesting discussions and hopefully more than what more than zero listeners which we might get an interview with Craig Forsyth and if we got an interview with Craig Forsyth then I'd be very excited <laughs> well it isn't just another game uh, this is a derby game that means a lot to fans, it means a lot to players, and it means a lot to managers. So uh, this is not just another game. We, we have a podcast here, so we should introduce 
ourselves and like kind of our background. Uh, so Alex, do you want to go first? Yep, absolutely. So um, I guess after all that logistical stuff, it's time for me to introduce myself and explain how it came to be that I'm sitting um, opposite Alex in a, in a flat in Lisbon, Portugal, recording this introductory podcast for a series that will focus on the last 16 years of, of Derby County's history. It's perhaps not the phrase that I thought I would ever say, but um, here we are, we are, we are sitting here now. So I was born in Derby in 1992. Um, I was actually born in the same hospital as Alex. We, we were born 16 days apart. And although we haven't done a DNA test, I don't think we're related. So that's good as we, we are now married. My family, although originally from Derby, actually moved to Nottingham a year later, so when I was one. And I lived there until I left the East Midlands to go to university in 2010. Way before I was born, my granddad, who grew up watching Derby by cycling from his home near the county ground to the baseball ground, has actually held a season ticket since they were, he tells me, £20 for two seasons worth of football. That's um that's a steal. Can you imagine? In, That's just in modern money. It's incredible value. Um, so yeah, it really is down to him that I guess I'm sitting here now talking about <laughs> talking about Derby County and my experiences following the club. He actually converted my dad from being a Liverpool fan in the in the eighties to being a Derby fan, and I guess that's where my fate as a Derby fan was was truly sealed. It was kind of strange growing up in Nottingham, I guess, and supporting Derby. I hung around around a lot with with some lads in primary school and secondary school who always made sure I remembered I was a Derby fan. Not that I needed reminding, and I do remember being called a sheep shagger at a very young age, which is kind of strange for a five or six year old girl to, to be called a sheep shagger. But you know, I I dealt with it and um, always gave as good as I got. How did you respond to that accusation? I think I was just like, yeah. I've, does that mean I'm a Derby fan? Yeah, okay, I think I am then. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone else. <laughs> like everyone else. But the naivety of a six-year-old, you don't quite know what you're saying at that point. So, <laughs> But yeah, I, I, I agreed and I, I let them have their fun as well. I mean, hopefully everyone listening to this match to this uh, podcast is, is fully aware of the bitter, bitter rivalry between Forest and Derby County and, you know, the cities themselves. So... Yeah, I think I was probably rubbing it in a little bit by doing that. Um, yeah, so I've had I've had a season ticket for as long as I can remember watching Derby, maybe from about the 2000 season. Uh, but I don't remember any individual games in the Premiership before we were relegated in 2002, which is a huge shame. I sat with my dad in the East Stand since then, very close by to where my granddad sits. And really for me, back then and now, like going to, to watch Derby was always a huge family affair. It wasn't, it never really just affected the, the three of us going to watch Derby. It was always passed on to my mum and my sister and my grandma, our moods when we got home. And, you know, it was all week is what we were talking about was the build up to matches and who was playing. So I think even for my sister, who has very little interest in Derby, she she probably still has some memories of <laughs> She was there on the playoff County. final, right? She was there on the playoff final. Um, not the good one, though. Well, there's not been many good ones. There's been one good one. She wasn't there for the one good one. So, you know, maybe that's something. That's yeah, an omen. That's, that's definitely something we need to talk about in future podcasts. Yeah. Omens. Um, but yeah, and I guess when we were younger, we probably went to about two or three away games a year too, which was pretty cool. I remember my first away game was at Burnley and it was a shock to be sitting on wooden seats at Turf Moor. And what year would that be? I reckon like 2006, 2007, mm. if I had to guess. 
Um, I remember it being very cold and windy and the seats were wooden. That sounds like Burnley. <laughs> that sounds like Burnley. That sounds you like the North really West. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Oh man, there's so many memories from the time before you came along, Alex, in 2008 that I'm sure I'll be able to speak about during the course of this uh, this series. But yeah, I guess the thing that ties us both to the club together is that we met at an away game at Carrow Road in, in 2008. And I've been together ever since. I don't even want to work out how many games we've watched together and we've been together since then either sitting apart but with our dads or together at away games it's just been so many i think the fact that we both we are both tied to the club separately and together meant that when we moved away from derby in 2010 and continued to live away from the east midlands until 2019 we retained our season tickets and traveled back from wherever we were living so liverpool leeds and london during that time in order to watch derby i guess i don't know about for you but for me it never felt like an option whether we would ever carry on watching Derby. It, di- it didn't feel like an option, but at the time I really wished it was an option. Because <laughs> uh, the, fo- the football was dire, for want of a better word. But, it, yeah. but we can get on to that subject. Yeah, and I think, you know, we never we never sat and asked, like, oh, are we travelling back this weekend then? It was just a given. We, we just went and we, we covered a lot of ground in that time to watch some, you know, pretty dismal stuff, didn't mm. we? So. Yeah, I remember... Well, I remember a good game at Peterborough away, and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, spoiler alert, this whole series is just going to be based on one game at Peterborough away. But yeah, sadly, this run of having a season ticket came to an end last year when we moved to Lisbon in Portugal. If I'm being honest, I mean, it probably couldn't have come at a better time because... We're currently living in the midst of a global pandemic and nobody can go and watch football live at the minute in the UK. Watching Derby is probably the main thing I miss about living in the UK. Just being able to go and see Derby and, you know, speak to people that sit near at matches and go and have a pint before the game. And and those things that come with going to watch football matches, they're pretty much... So you're you're not bothered at all about going back right now then in this uh, pandemic? No, it doesn't really bother me that we're we're away. So it is it is fortunate, but obviously global pandemics also comes with its comes with its downsides, as we all know. So um... (laughs) exactly, I don't think we should really go into that. Quickly taken free kick, caught the defence out, one shot. He wasn't going to miss from there. As we said at the, at the start of this uh, podcast, Alex has written the article that we're going to be discussing today, and, and in that he included a short, a very short introduction to himself as well. Uh, but Alex, I don't know if you want to like summarise that for, mm. for the people who don't want to read your article. Yeah, for the people that don't have the nine minutes to commit to the, <laughs> the reading time. So I guess my background's very similar. Born in Derby, you know, I, I really liked the, the Liverpool team of the 90s, which I guess has come to pass is probably the worst Liverpool team that has been for a very long time, aside from maybe the Roy Hodgson year. But, you know, I liked Michael Owen, I liked the 98 World Cup, and Derby didn't really have much representation beyond Dion Burson for Jamaica, and he, he didn't have the same gravitas. Not the same pulling power. Really. Not the same pulling power. Uh, didn't score against Argentina, crucially. Mm-hmm. But... You know, like my as I say in the article, my dad, he, he was a Derby fan. He, I don't know if he had a season ticket before I was born, but he definitely used to go to games. And I guess he was sick of the sight of Liverpool after, you know, their, their period of dominance in the 80s. So I think he really wanted to make it clear to me that I couldn't possibly support them. My first game actually was uh, against Liverpool at home. Uh, 
my dad wrote to Gerard Houllier and 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 wrote to him asking that Derby he allowed Derby to beat Liverpool on the day because it was my birthday at the time. Wait a minute, is this true? Yeah, this is true. Yeah. <laughs> you have never told me this. Yeah, well, you have to ask my dad. I don't know what he wrote in the letter. He wrote to Gerard Houllier. He wrote to Gerard Houllier. Yeah. This is incredible. But um, did it work? It did work. Derby won three two. Wow. Um, I think Stefan Schnorr played. Wait, at this point, were you happy that Derby won? No, I was sad. Yeah, you wanted I, was, I was. I wanted Liverpool to win, so I don't know why my dad. It wow. was a very actually selfish act, if anything, because <laughs> I, I wanted Liverpool to win. And uh, but I did see, you know, I saw Robbie Fowler and I saw Mike Lowe and I saw all the the key people that I wanted to see. And I was also impressed by Derby actually. Mm-hmm. And I think actually that game, you know, sent sent me on the path to supporting my local team. I guess the Premiership here was a bit weird. Like at least in the early two thousands, it was clear that things were going wrong. Mm. And I guess there wasn't really any way of turning that around. And so I didn't really come back into contact with Derby again until, you know, they got relegated, which I assume probably was more down to the cheap prices that were probably being offered on tickets and things like that. Yep. And, um, and undoubtedly. So, undoubtedly, yeah. So yeah, so I guess that's why we got back into it. Again, my dad was obviously the driving force here because I was merely, you know, 10 years old. But we started going to a few more games. I saw a few of the ones in the Premiership before they went down, then... Started going to a few more, like during the John Gregory era and during George Burley's first year. I don't really know what happened, but I guess I was at, just started secondary school and we suddenly had a season ticket in the East Stand. I didn't really ask too many questions. I did like football, so it was all fine by me. Derby had just signed like Gregor Raziak and Inigo Idiarquez and Tommy Smith, so mm-hmm. we, we had a pretty decent team. And I think it really helped that Derby did well that year because it really... It showed me that football could be a force for good. Uh, I had a paper round at the time, and I used to read a lot of the Derby Evening Telegraph. Oh, that's nice. You know, as I as I walked around Alistair, uh, nice. very slowly, mm-hmm. and then from there it's basically been downhill all the way until well, <laughs> probably around like nine or ten years later. But like Alex said, we were kind of locked in after that, so there was there yeah. was almost no option in not going. So that's me um, again. We're in Lisbon. We still watch the games, don't we, on their yeah, Rams TV. Yeah. Um, R.I.P. Reddit Soccer Streams. R.I.P. Uh, we'll always remember. Never I forget. Think, I think, yeah, it is worth pointing out as well that although, you know, we now live thousands of miles away from, from Derby, the Derby and, and watching Derby County is never never too far away from our consciousness. It, um, and I don't, think, I don't think it ever will be. No, I mean, we sat down to watch Derby versus QPR this week. and that Last was, night. Last night, and that yeah. was a very chastening experience. But I know I will be there again <laughs> on Saturday. On Saturday, exactly. Um, on the sofa watching that with all the rest of the Derby fans. Okay, so now you know a, a bit about us and, and why we're here and what, what we aim to talk about, um, we'll get into our first article. So Alex, I think it's over to you to, to give me a little summary of what you've written. Yeah, so um, I guess part of the article as well was just introducing ourselves, but really what we wanted to do was kind of introduce the concept, which we kind of talked about here. So the, the, main, the main content was merely trying to get an idea of what sort of topics we're going to be covering, what our kind of opinion on the club's current direction is, what we think the main, you know, like talking points might be around that. 
um, and how you might contextualize that. So as you kind of mentioned before, like we have this takeover which is happening, and I think mm. I think it's kind of a good a good time to think about the club now and what it represents and where it can move forward to because I think this takeover could dramatically change the face of the club mm-hmm. and that's not to say that the face of the club hasn't changed even in the recent past but I think this could really it could really change what Derby County means uh, what people think of Derby County so beyond that like some of the other things we talked about is kind of the football like we said um, it's it's been a pretty fallow period in the club's history we've spent almost our entire time watching the club as season ticket holders in the second tier apart from when we were the worst team in history so we've got a kind of a unique perspective on mm-hmm. on Derby County and the footballing environment that it that it's part of and and that's basically the basis for the for the entire thing uh, that I wrote really you know we we've, we've watched a lot of We've watched many seasons where Derby have been in the mid-table. We've watched, some, we've watched many seasons where we've finished near the bottom. We've watched a few where we've come near the top. And, and, even, when the, and even when the club has done well, it seems to always end badly anyway. Uh, if not in the season, it will end badly in the season afterwards when you get relegated with 11 points. Mm-hmm. And over this time, there have been many managers. There have been many philosophies. There have been many players. You know, A lot of money has been spent and not... And not much has been re- retrieved. A lot of players have left who shouldn't have left. A lot of players have been signed who should never have been signed. And that kind of leads us to the present day and, and the future. And now we have this global pandemic. Clubs outside the Premier League are going to really struggle because the economic disparity between these uh, these clubs below the Premier League and, and the clubs in the Premier League is, is so massive now that it's, going, it's not going to be too long before it probably becomes impossible for a championship club to get promoted and... Um, you know do do well in that division although this year we're still seeing clubs like Leeds do relatively well and last year we had Sheffield United so there, there is hope but you imagine with that chasm widening it's going to be more difficult for clubs like Derby even if they can get promoted to have any sort of success so we're in this strange time and the EFL is not really helping the EFL is doing a pretty bad job of overseeing the divisions uh, that it has control of and it also it doesn't seem to ha- even have the club's best interests at heart even when it interacts with the Premier League so we have that to kind of deal with and then you know like we're and in this position now you can kind of see why like a takeover looks more appealing uh, we have an owner that is like a fan a local businessman but clearly he's not really very interested in carrying on and you know if, if someone's going to come in from the United Arab Emirates and offer a lot of money then maybe that's going to be the only thing really that can see the club progress in in pure footballing terms but I, but I guess what we might argue there is that it would have a very negative impact on the club from a a, a wider perspective that takes into account the like the club's morals in a sense uh, how mm-hmm. that club is viewed within the, you know the footballing ecosystem and then just to like finish I, I guess like this whole podcast will be kind of like talking about all these things and and we call it our baseball ground because you know like we've grown up and people keep talking about the baseball ground but we never went Never been to see a single match there, not mm-hmm. even reserve football. And mm-hmm. it was basically knocked down before I really was even conscious that I'd go and watch a lot of the football being played by Derby. So Yeah, and I guess we are aware of like the good times that, that happened at the baseball ground as well. And, you know, in the past 16 years, we have watched Derby with that backdrop, knowing that there are people older than us and people such as, you know, my, my granddad who saw all of the all of the glory days and that that that's the club that Derby is. But actually we're so far away from the baseball ground now. It was knocked down what sixteen years ago. And this is a, a different era era in the club's history, but 
it's it's our baseball ground. It's right? our baseball ground, and I think I think really when people think about Derby County, especially older people, they will think of the baseball ground. But really, like it's um, but like you say, it's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, the success that was had there is long long in the memory. And I think there were a lot of contradictions you know, uh, that we kind of want to talk about with the club. And I think that's probably the same for most football clubs, but I think some of the contradictions with Derby County are, are particularly annoying when you think about them, particularly within the fan base and, and what it means to support the club. But in in a sense, like, this is the only club we know. Uh, we can't, you know, we can't go and support Tottenham because we don't have the same connection with the club. And I guess we tried to support Sporting Lisbon and... And it was rubbish. After, like, three games, we, we just thought, what the hell are we doing here? Yeah, exactly. And and we can go, I can go and watch matches and I can enjoy them from different clubs, mm-hmm. but really the only the only, the only only club that we know, the only, the only history that we know and the only context that we're aware of is, is viewed through that Derby County lens. Mm-hmm. And with that in mind, like, I think that's why it's kind of important to talk about these things. And, you know, that wasn't just successful for, for that season when we came in, it was successful after. We were always an exciting, attacking football team. And I think, you know, that's what I want to see. I wrote this article and then Alex has kind of read through it and she's, you know, made some notes. So to Alex, like the first question, just to get the ball rolling, is like kind of what, what stood out to you as kind of the, the key aspects I think really it's something that we've already already mentioned as we've been as we've been talking. It's just like how have we spent almost sixteen years playing football in the second tier? When you think about the teams that we've had during that time, so the the groups of players that we've had and all the different philosophies and all the different managers, and you know we spent a period of time spending a bit of money, and then we've spent a period of time bringing the youth through. I feel like, okay, and, and as a caveat, you know, we had one year in the, in the Premier League during that time and it was memorable, but not necessarily for good reasons. I guess, like, how... What, my, my one big question is, after all of these things, taking all of these things into consideration, we've basically tried everything. Like, Derby have tried everything at this point to try and get back into the Premiership, apart from being taken over by... A consortium. A consortium. A faceless consortium. Exactly. I guess... Yeah, that's an interesting point. I guess there was a takeover when we went up and there was like the American people, but mm-hmm. I think there was something slightly more, you could kind of grasp that a bit easier. Mm-hmm. I think this one, yeah, is is more insidious in, in some mm-hmm. ways. And I guess as well, yeah, we, we got promoted and we got promoted for that one season, but it didn't, it didn't stick and we didn't like come back down and then go back up again. It obviously, that push to get the club where it, where everyone says it, like it, it needs to be, didn't sustain anything. And I think, yeah, just the sheer, the sheer amount of time that's passed in, in the second division really, really shocked me as I was, as I was reading this, almost to the point where I was like, has Alex done his maths right? Are you sure here? Are you sure it's been 15 years? Um, so that's that's the main the main thing that really stood out to me. I think that I really liked the you know the section where you wrote about all the different managers we've had and the different strategies and philosophies that they had and the fact that yeah 18 people have been manager of Derby during during this period of time which is 41% of all the managers in in the entire 136 year history of the club. So Maybe what, that's the thing. So we're out of those managers, mm. what are the most memorable? So I guess the the best and the worst times. So I guess for me the pretty much single-handedly the best times came under Steve McLaren. I think the, the Part 1. 
part one. I mean, part two was also pretty good, but yeah, part part one, I think the style of football that was played during that time, it was the most eye-catching. You genuinely were excited to go to go and watch Derby. I think that it was it was always going to be like free flowing and attacking and yeah just just a pleasure to watch it's it's kind of what as a football fan you when you see like good teams <laughs> when you see high high flying teams playing on tv you almost think like wow like it'd be amazing if derby could could play like that and string passes together like like liverpool can now and i think during that time we honestly played some some incredible football so. i think um i think the, the key thing about that period is well for me at least it we didn't even matter that we were in the championship mm. we were we were playing so well. It was almost... I would have taken that se- season over and over again if we could have replicated the success, even if it meant not getting promoted, mm. because it was just enjoyable to go mm-hmm. to the games. Even when you were playing Barnsley or Millwall or something, it didn't matter who we were playing. It's just you knew the team were going to turn up and give a good performance. Yeah, I guess, conversely, I didn't like Nigel Pearson's style of football I know that perhaps for you Alex it'll be it'll be the Nigel Clough era which really brought you to your knees but for me I think it was just to kind of have Nigel Pearson in charge after we'd had McLaren in charge like the stark contrast between those two styles it just wasn't it wasn't enjoyable to watch Derby under under Nigel Pearson what 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 particularly stands out as the the reason you didn't like that period I think there's something in the fact that I didn't I didn't really connect with Nigel Pearson as a man as well as well. Like I think that Steve McLaren, although this was after the, you know, like Wally with the Brolly incident, he he was he was known to the to the public and he was I don't know, I feel like I feel like he was known as kind of quite a warm man, somebody who played played the game the right way and, and just loved football. I think Manage Forest. He did manage for us, he did, but I guess it didn't work out for him very well, so that, that helps. <laughs> but with Nigel Pearson, yeah, I didn't I didn't want to him as a man. He'd just come off the back of managing Leicester, where you know there was like some some trouble with um, Leicester players going to Thailand and I think that his whole like aura was wasn't wasn't what I wanted for Derby. So I think that that, you know, started started him off on, on the wrong foot. But then also the football was just crap. It was too defensive compared to under McLaren. It was not enjoyable to watch. It was just, yeah, it was almost anti-football. Mm. But he did sign, you know, I mean, he had, he had some he had some terrible signings like Kachiani, mm. but he did sign Matej Vidrick. Yeah. He went on to have success. He did, he did. And that's fine, but it was just under... I mean, the period of time that he was in charge was also so short that, you know, it's like... You almost can't. You can't compare it sometimes, but um, yeah. You, I mean, you asked the question, and, mm. and that's my answer. No, well, no. I think that's a perfectly reasonable answer. Um, <laughs> I think. I think it was a terrible time for the club. Uh, I think he. I think he destroyed essentially, really, the soul of that McLaren mm. team. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, even if he didn't necessarily see people off himself, although he, he kind of did with like Chris Martin, I mm. guess um, he kind of saw them off. Uh, figuratively and probably mentally as well. So it, I mean, that probably was like the period of you know, most change after that. Mm. After that good period under McLaren. Let's um, let's focus on the McLaren era era for now. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you think? A couple of the key moments from that era. Are? I think there are there are some there are some moments that I don't I don't think I'll ever forget, and I don't know whether they're necessarily the key moments. But yeah, I think the. 
The main one, which I don't think comes as a shock, was the playoff final defeat um, against QPR. I think if if Derby win that game and go up, then yeah, who knows? Who knows what would have happened? But I think they would have stood a really good chance of actually being able to play good football in the Premiership, which is as a fan of a second tier club, that's all you want from your. And team. do you think that team, even without drastic changes, would have done well? Would have continued to do well? Or? I don't think it would have necessarily stayed up, but I think that it would have been. I think I think that team would have at least like tried to given a good compete account. exactly and like given a good good account of themselves in the Premiership, and I think in terms of Derby staying in the second tier for another season after McLaren almost got us to the Premiership, like we started that next season, and you could tell that like the players still had a hangover from from the playoff final, and the whole club kind of did because on the day and like in the build up to the day. There was almost no way, like I think, uh, well, uh, definitely in, in my family anyway, I think we all forgot that football is full of shocks in the lead up to that that playoff final because we were just absolutely riding high. The second most memorable moment as well as the playoff final was the um, the, the semi-final against against Brighton, essentially, that, that second leg at home. We just completely tore Brighton apart and it was honestly probably the most the most enjoyable like 90 minutes of football I've ever watched. Yeah, so so you picked out some good moments. Yeah. Um, what what about you? What what do you think? Because I think your your memory probably casts a, a broader net than mine. Mine focuses on very kind of like highs and lows, where I think you you can well, pick out the weeds from the McLaren era. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think. Well, I guess just to offer a counterpoint, I guess I think in that second season we were probably closer to going up. Mm than we really remember and you know we, we went to Fulham away on your birthday mm-hmm. and Derby I can't remember exactly but they were like three points clear at the top yeah, they and were. that was and you know that kind of period gave, gave rise to this like February slump which has become synonymous with Derby County yeah. over the past six seven years but I think actually losing that game 2-0 at the time against the Fulham team that were like really underperforming may have actually Mm. I don't necessarily think it was super important. I think probably Derby would have come and stuck anyway, but I think it was signified the end of that mm. team being kind of like a force that could that teams couldn't resist. And I think it kind of gave rise to these things about McCarran not having like a plan B and things mm. like that, which uh, I think to some extent is true, but you know, when the plan A works so well, why mm. would you ever have a plan B? Why would you ever complicate things with a plan B? And I, and I kind of like the plan A and I think... I think as well, like people talk about like the injuries and stuff that happened mm. that season, it was always going to be difficult. But yeah, so I think I think in that second season, you know, there was like a bit of the start where it was started a bit weirdly, but they did really get going. And I think it just really did go wrong in that February, March, mm-hmm. and obviously all the way to the end of the season. And I think that that period, at least, it was not really a moment, but like starting from that Fulham game really set the club on like a negative slope. Yeah, agreed. So. You know, that's the McLaren era. The McLaren era, we're talking about McLaren era because that we really enjoyed that one. Yeah. As a pair, we, we saw a lot of the games together. Um, we went to a lot of away games and, and that team as well meant a lot to us, it turns out, in the mm. in the future as well because we've never really rekindled that. The players that were p- played in that team and the even like the kind of peripheral figures like Simon Dawkins and stuff meant a lot. Whereas yeah. like it's hard now to find anyone, even in the starting 11, that we really have like much of a connection, connection with. Connection, yeah. I think uh, we discussed it the last uh, couple of games quite a few times. If you're in this situation like us, it's really tough to get out of it because luck is not on your side. 
going on to this like future and like what kind of what we talked what I talked about in the article is like where do you think this like takeover goes? I think there's a place that I want it to go. And there's a place that, knowing the recent history of Derby County, it's, it's probably going to go. The way I, I want it to go, if we, if we put aside kind of like the, the magnitude of the, of the morality that <laughs> this takeover um, actually signifies, I think I obviously want, want this takeover to happen and then this consortium come along, pump a load of money into the club, the club invest wisely and just start to play really, really good football again um, and get back to the premiership and, you know, stay there for a few seasons so that we can enjoy the conundrum of whether to have Derby players in our fantasy Premier League teams. I mean, I could you even... do not want that conundrum because <laughs> I can tell you right now, I feel like I will have to pick them, but they will all be awful. It's might be best for the rest of us then. Um, but yeah, that's that's obviously where, where I want I want the club to go and I want, I want that to happen to the club. But I mean... It's really difficult to be optimistic right now mm. because, yeah, like we just said, we watched we watched Derby play QPR last night um, at the time of recording this. I mean, Philip Koku is still manager, but who knows how much longer he's actually mm. going to get in charge, which it, which in, on the face of it is, is a huge shame as well. And they were just poor. They were just really abstract, just no, had essentially no soul to the team. Mm. It, was, it was very sad watching them. You almost knew watching them like... With 80 minutes gone, it'd be nil-nil that they were probably going to concede and then they probably wouldn't have a fight back. Yeah, I just hope that if this takeover does happen and, and probably now it's looking like when it does happen, that it does have that positive influence. But for me, I know that's going to come with a lot of questions over the the moral aspect of being a football fan. So ultimately, you kind of want the positive football that will probably that would probably come from like a huge financial injection to like make you know make the difference up from the like that negative ownership change. Exactly. But yeah. so on that ownership change though, is it really a negative ownership change? What's your opinion on Mel Morris and and obviously there are questions here like do you mm. think Mel Morris relinquishing control is a good thing? And if mm. it is is actually this takeover going to be a positive thing from that side of things? Okay, there's a lot. Of, there's, there's, I think there's a lot of stuff to to unpack there. I'd say that I haven't enjoyed Mel Morris being in charge of Derby. Um, I think that it's almost dangerous when there's one man overseeing um, a whole operation. Oh, you can oh. see that uh, from the, all the changes of managers, the totally different styles. Exactly, and I mean, if I put myself in his shoes which you know I've thought about before and if I if I had the the money to to own Derby I wouldn't want to be an insult charge of those decisions because as a fan you think that you have the club's best interests at heart and you you kind of you're just like well you know that I know I know what the best thing is because I'm a fan and I think that yeah that's that's just not the not the case you have to have someone that can look at things objectively and I genuinely don't think Mel Morris can do you think he has the club's best interests at heart Hmm. I think I'd like to think he has the the club's best interests at heart because he is he is from the area and you know he like he is a Derby fan based on his actions. Uh, I mean, one one action is is him buying the the stadium from the club. Like I don't I don't really think he has 
the club's best interests at heart mm. if he's from if like he's a doing sustainability it. point of view. From a sustainability perspective. He might have the hope that Derby improve from a football yeah. perspective and get promoted, but he doesn't necessarily And I think yeah, you know, like in doing that he stopped us from taking a points deduction probably for because for financial fair play reasons. But But ultimately the spending that they were re- accounting mm. for was financed by him. Yeah. Under I mean under probably under the knowledge that he could he could exercise that. that loophole. Yeah. So that's that, so that's Mel Morris essentially. Like I, I, I don't think Mel Morris selling the club is a bad idea. Selling it to a senior member of the of the Abu Dhabi royal family when it's it's not hidden the human atrocities that that take place in in Abu Dhabi and the human rights laws that are just repeatedly broken. I think as a as a fan of Derby, there's obviously better places where the club could be sold. Because obviously we're going to continue supporting Derby. Mm. We're probably going to continue watching the matches. Mm-hmm. But how do you see supporting a club that has an ownership that you don't really agree with in general? Mm. Will anything change? Will you still hope that the club wins every game? I think unfortunately, yes, I will. Because I think that it's it's really hard to, to, to just like watch Derby and think about Derby and not remember the these past 16 years and not remember like all the good times mm. and not remember the fact that there's like thousands of people going go and watch that club or used to go and watch that club every week when they could the the fortunes of the club it like it does have a huge impact on the city perhaps derby isn't as big as a footballing city as some as some other kind of like cities in the north of england but yeah i don't know whether that answers your questions but i no i think it does i'll I... still be cheering from the sofa <laughs> <laughs> i think um it's the only thing we can do, isn't it? If, yeah. if we if we leave now, then it's sixteen years down the drain, or it's, seventeen years. Now. It's wasted, isn't it? It's you wasted. So you can't stop. One thing, perhaps, like that, I I want to ask you and throw back to you in terms of talking about having like a takeover of this of this like magnitude is: Do you actually think football fans largely? So if we look outside of our of our flat and like look at other derby fans and look at other football fans around the world. Do you think that they really care who owns their club? I think it depends. Um, And I I have some empirical data to support this. Uh, But I I kind of highlight some of the thing, some of it in the article. So on DCFC fans, which is like one of the big forums, Mm. um, they kind of did this poll about like, do people want uh, this change of ownership? And Mm. the, the, the questions were quite you know course in the sense that it was like uh, no I don't want Mel to lose control and or yes I want new ownership which doesn't really cover all the the bases of mm. thought because because in some sense I would want someone to take it over from Mel Morris because I think he's done a bad job but equally this maybe this isn't the right way mm-hmm. to go about doing things but that ultimately that poll kind of showed support for the takeover mm. and I think I think the basis for that is people want footballing success I mean, football is defined by the clubs that are successful and like even like Sheffield United, which seems like, you know, like a, rel- a similar club, similar traditions, like similar, like, you know, they have like a, a hometown manager. Mm. But I mean, they're owned by, you know, like some consortium from with links to Saudi Arabia. So nobody, nobody's safe from this kind of thing. But on the other side, there was also a, a question on the forum, which was broadly something like, do you want the club to be viewed positively by other fans? Or does mm. it, or does it not matter to you? And broadly speaking, it did matter to people. Okay. And I think these kind of takeovers, and you know, with a club like Derby's recent history, like there's not much positive press for Derby, and there's not there's not much people really like for external point mm. of view, like especially with this like ground selling thing with FFP. And- I think I think as well, it's kind of strange because the past, say like 
four years, four or five years, the club has almost been viewed like it's been in the media a lot. Mm. There's been a lot of a lot media of, attention. A lot of club statements and a, uh, a lot of corner flags. A lot of corner flags on Twitter, especially, and people. And you know, like you kind of read through Twitter when those sorts of things happen, and people, and like Derby County fans, kind of enjoy the publicity. Mm. I guess no, no publicity is bad publicity. But equally, there is this like trend of disenchantment with Derby as a club mm. from outside. And I think this sort of takeover is only going to solidify those. I think one thing that you cover really well in your article actually is kind of like the off the field things that have happened in in the past few few years and I'm sure a lot of them we will we will get to like speak about a lot more in this series but if as an outsider as as a fan of another club in the UK or even as a fan of a of a club elsewhere in Europe or the world and you the only things you hear about derby are these really strange occurrences so you know like our club captain being sacked after he was involved in a car crash that was caused by two of his own team members being drunk. These sorts of things, they're almost laughable. They're almost unbelievable. And then the club gets taken over. And again, it's more kind of like negative press. I almost feel like people just start to laugh at Derby because they're a bit like... God, remember when remember when they were good like in the in the 70s sort of like laughing like oh you know like you know when like, they used to play at the baseball ground and now look at them kind mm, of thing i i think there is some aspect to that but i think also there's not many people now that will remember those periods that's true especially if you're not a derby fan i mean people probably will remember when derby were in the premiership in the late 90s and mm. derby had like a, a reasonable team then but it wasn't like a you know it wasn't super memorable mm. Yeah, you're right. But I think I think those people are dwindling. It's not going to be long, you know, like five, ten years mm. before all people remember is kind of what's going on now. And if, mm-hmm. if these, you know, the, these kind of trends and these kind of events keep happening, all Derby will be remembered for is being in the championship a lot mm-hmm. and for ultimately failure and mm-hmm. bizarre headlines. And that's that's our baseball ground, isn't it? And that and that is our baseball ground. That's that's the that's the environment that we've mm-hmm. <laughs> supported um, throughout all these years. That's the club that we've, you know, been and watched for 16 years and continue to watch. Mm-hmm. And like I said before, we can't get away from it. The character was tremendous and, uh, you know, to get back to 4-4 is a credit to everybody. So, Alex, what have we got next? I think in the next podcast, we're probably going to be covering... Uh, Derby County 4, Ipswich 4, uh, from, the, from 2013, uh, from you know the very start of the McLaren era. Mm-hmm. I think it had a lot of relevance and it set Derby on a path, which at the time was very positive, but ultimately is, has still you know never really deviated from this negative trend. Uh, that game was still important because it, it was a turning point of sorts. Yeah. So I think that's what we'll cover next, and maybe, and maybe in the one after that we'll, we'll cover a player that... Cool. Um, that has had some, you know, had some impact on Derby's history. Okay. Well, I think, yeah, we should we should wrap it up there then. So thank you everyone for listening, especially if you're not a family member or a friend that we've asked to listen to this podcast. Um, or forced. Or forced to listen to this podcast. I mean, no, we appreciate anyone, anyone that does listen. But um, if you've found us and you've started listening, I hope that um, the past 20 minutes or so have been enjoyable for you and we hope to have you along for the ride next time see, see you. you later